Welcome back to CFO Weekly, where we're talking with financial leaders about how to build efficiency in their teams, create time for strategy, and ultimately get results with your host, Megan Weiss. Let's jump right in. Today, my guest is Paul Barnhurst. Paul is a finance professional with 12 plus years of finance and FP&A experience. Paul earned a bachelor's from BYU, an MBA specializing in finance, and a master's of information management from Arizona State University. Paul has worked in several industries, including the U.S. government, travel services, finance, automotive, cybersecurity, e-commerce, and more. Paul possesses a strong background in budgeting, forecasting, financial planning, financial modeling, report building, and business partnering. Paul recently launched his own business called the FPNA Guy, providing FPNA consulting services for small and mid-sized companies, FPNA training, and FPNA content creation, including webinars, blogs, and sponsored LinkedIn posts. Paul resides in Salt Lake City, Utah, with his wife and daughter. He enjoys running, hiking, and the outdoors, and is very active on LinkedIn, regularly publishing thought leadership in the FPNA space. On LinkedIn, Paul goes by the moniker, the FPNA guy. Paul, thank you so much for joining me on today's episode. Thank you for having me, Megan. I'm really excited to be here and talk with you for a few minutes. Yeah, today we're going to be focusing on financial planning and analysis, or FPNA, its importance and the tools available to support both the practice as well as the people who specialize in it. And I'm really looking forward to this conversation and learning from you, Paul. So let's get started. Sounds good. First, let's start with you and your story. If you could kind of share how it is that you got to where you are today. Yeah, no, it's a great story. And I can definitely say it's not where I ever saw myself, but I think that's how everybody's career goes. As I heard it said the other day, careers today are no longer ladders. You just think you just kept trying to move up the ladder, they're squiggly lines. Yeah, And that describes my career. I started in procurement working for the government, pretty quickly realized writing government contracts was not for me. So then I worked briefly as a business analyst for the government, went back to grad school. Out of grad school, I took a financial reporting job because it was 2008 as an analyst type role. And I wanted to do something in the investment space, but graduating in 2008 with my MBA with no investment experience, that wasn't happening. So took a job, you know, worked in a really kind of a reporting role. And then an FP&A role came open, really didn't know what it was. Took the role and I've been in FP&A ever since. That was about 2009. And so I worked for American Express, then joined a SaaS company, software company based out of Dallas called Solera, was with them for a little over four years. About a year ago, joined a company called DigiCert, just kind of finished up with them recently and launched my own business this year. I do uh, content creation, training, consulting in the FP&A space. And what is it about FP&A that really captured you? Yeah, I think for me, the things I really enjoy about FP&A is one, you get a view of the whole business. You really get to see what's going on through the lens of the financials. And when FP&A is done right, you get to help influence and partner with the business. And I love that working with different people and being able to be involved in what's going on and helping shape the business. I was really fortunate particularly when I worked at Solera, they really valued FP&A and you were involved in almost every decision. Sometimes it almost felt like too much, but it really helped me learn the business and see the value of good planning and linking your strategy and your operational plan and really being that advisor with a financial lens to the business. 
And as you mentioned, you have your own business today. So what inspired you to make that leap? I mean, how did you work up the bravery to, to make the leap from corporate to entrepreneur? Yeah, you know, it's a great story. Since I was a kid, I wanted to run my own business. In high school, I wrote a couple of business plans. I did an entrepreneurship class. I actually competed in a state national contest. I graduated with an entrepreneurship degree in undergrad, but just never really had an idea or the courage to start something. And so about six months ago, people started to approach me. And I think in one week, I got like three job offers and approached about working with different companies to do content creation. And I went to my wife and I said, hey, I think I can start a business. And she kind of looked at me like crazy. And so, you know, I still had the idea in my mind. I'd kind of talked to her about it. And it was about six weeks later and telling her different things were going on. She goes, I think you can do this. I go, are you sure? She's like, yeah, I'm okay with you doing it. I'm like, okay, I'm going to put in my notice today. And I put in my notice that day. (laughs) And that was actually back in February. I ended up doing an extended transition with them, which kind of helped make it a soft landing, but been working on my business ever since. Yeah. So let's talk about your business, the FP&A guy. What is it that you do? Yeah, no, it's a great question. So, you know, one, I do a podcast called FPNA Today that's sponsored by a software vendor called DataRail. So I host that podcast. I do content creation daily on LinkedIn in the FPNA space. I also do Excel training. I will be launching some additional training later this year, do some consulting. I build three sta- I build a three-statement model for a business, as well as I'm doing some, you know, different events for vendors, webinars around financial modeling. KPIs, different subjects that help you know people be a better FP&A professional. And who is your ideal client? Who who are you trying to attract? Yeah, so I mean, there's there's kind of two sides to it. One is working with some of these with these finance vendors, doing events to attract people who are wanting to be better at their career, wanting to learn about a subject. So, like one of the first things I did is I did a webinar for a large vendor. We had about 240 people attend on financial modeling. So I'm really passionate about helping people be better with their structure and design, whether it be Excel or financial modeling, as well as being a better business partner. So there's two sides. One, partnering with some of these vendors really to help spread the message and to help reach the people that are looking to improve their FP&A skills and be better FP&A professionals. And let's go back to your time at Solera for a minute. So while you were there, you developed a financial reporting tool. So tell us more about this tool and and what is the importance of financial reports in the financial world? Yeah, you know, there's a lot of different types of financial reports, but obviously they're critical, especially if you're a public company. In this case, what I designed is we had just put a new ERP in place and we didn't have any good reporting that rolled it up beyond the transactional level to be able to compare it to the forecast and understand what was going on. So they had created kind of this data dump. And I took that and built a report in uh, Power Pivot slash Power BI, the Excel version of uh, Power BI, and built this report and then convinced the business to productionalize it. And they went ahead and built some cubes. And it became a global report that allowed anyone to go in and see what was happening at a transactional level be able to roll it up by entity so you could compare it to your forecast and understand the items you needed to understand for variance commentary. And when I left there, you know, four years later, it was being used globally. That's awesome. So let's talk uh, a minute about tools and technology related to FP&A. Do you find, because it's, it's been my experience that they're kind of lagging behind the rest of the accounting field. What, what are your thoughts? 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, I've heard numbers and I'm not, you know, I haven't seen a recent number, but the last number I saw said for planning tools. So just talking FP&A planning, and there's definitely other areas, but the core planning, budgeting, and forecasting tool, 70% are using Excel. Wow. And, you know, Excel has some great, great tools, but when it comes to the collaboration and the workflow, and as soon as the company gets big, you get stuck in that Excel nightmare that everybody's dealt with where you're spending all your time reconciling the numbers and trying to find out why this file doesn't tie to that file. And so we're definitely, it's definitely been a little behind, but it's been a very hot space over the last couple of years. I mean, tons of companies, what, we, what I like to call third generation planning tools have come into the space over the last couple of years. And well, so let's talk about those tools for a minute. First of all, what makes them third generation? Yeah, that's a great question. So what we the way we kind of define third generation, some of the earlier tools can meet some of the requirements of third generation, but typically they're lower price point. They're designed for small to medium businesses. So if you look when FPA tools first came about, it was Hyperion, it uh-huh. was SAP, it was Oracle, right? Six-month implementation time, big enterprise companies were using them. Then you had tools roll out like Adaptive, Planful, Vena. And you know, most of those tools are aimed at the mid to the large market. They got better. They were more low code, but they still may have had some code. They were closer to self-service and a shorter implementation time. And they've got better as they've rolled out. But these third generations have come out, or many of them have you know, implementation times as, soon, as short as a few days. Some of them might be a few weeks up to you know, maybe five, six weeks. They're generally very low price points compared, compared to the other tools. And they are uh, much more self-service. They're much more that no-code, low-code. And so that's really what we're seeing is a lot of startups in that in that area that we kind of call the third-generation tools. And there's probably you know, 20, 25 tools, I'd say, in the last five years that we kind of you know, throw into that bucket. And in your experience with that group of tools, are there... And I'm not sure if you can share this or not, but are are there any that are your favorites or, or that you feel are more impressive than others? Yeah, I, I wouldn't necessarily say favorite. I do get asked that question. And I think it comes down to preference. There's different things I like about different tools. So like DataRails that sponsors my podcast. If you want to stay 100% in Excel, they're a great choice. They're one of those tools that keeps you in Excel and brings structure around it. Some people want to get out of Excel. And so there's a number of other tools that do that. There's a tool called OnPlan that its engine is completely built on Google Sheets. So, you know, if you're a Google shop, there's some benefits there. There's others that do a really good job on reporting, you know, Abacom. There's ones that are designed towards startups, what I call Forecaster, you know, kind of Finmark. There's others that are, you know, much bigger on the modeling, Causal, and some that focus on headcount, DoubleFin, Stratify. They each have different strengths. I can say... You know, the tools I've seen, another one, B2B, Mosaic, and I'm sure I'm missing others. So somebody will remind me I skipped one. But, uh, you know, each of these tools have different strengths. Overall, I've been impressed and like different things a bit about just about all of them. So for me, if I had to make a decision, let's say someone said, okay, you have to choose a tool tomorrow. It would depend on the business, how clean the data is, the team I have, you know, and the systems we're using. Because some of them integrate with different systems better than others. So let's put the tools and technologies aside for just a second. But how have you seen the field of FP&A evolve over, let's say, the last 10 years? And, and where do you think it's heading? 
Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's changed a ton, just even the last two, three years with the pandemic. So I used to think, you know, if you go back 15, 20 years ago, FP&A, I used to like to call it FP&R, financial planning and reporting. Lots of board decks, disconnected process. Today, FP&A is much more integrated. Sometimes you hear a term called XP&A, really just in the finance world, which means extended planning, that the financial planning should make sure it includes the operational and the whole business. It's much more focused on collaboration. And the other two areas that have really grown over the last few years is what we call business partnering is a common term. And it's the idea that you're really a partner and advisor, almost like a consultant for the business on behalf of the CFO to make sure you're maximizing the capital of how we spend that next dollar working with the business. And the second thing that's really exploded is scenario planning, right? When COVID hit in 2020, every business all of a sudden cared about cash flow and wanted to run a million different forecasts. And it became really important to be able to run different scenarios. What happens if we're shut down for six months? What happens to cash if we're shut down for three months? Well, what does it look like for sales drop by 50%? Well, you know, in some businesses, all our sales just doubled. What does that look like? How do we hire the people? What happens to our cash? And so the number of forecasts that have had to be performed on average annually, I think I saw a number since COVID started have gone up 50%. Wow. Yeah, that's true. So many more scenarios that people Mm -hmm. want to consider since two years ago. Exactly. So according to your LinkedIn product, profile, you're also an advisory board member at Born Capital. Um, Can you talk to us a little bit more about this role? Sure. Yeah. So that's a relatively new role and it works well with this third generation market guide. So we're putting out a, a planning guide this summer that highlights probably about 15 planning tools. And it's not a comparison saying, hey, this one's better than that one. But what it is, is it's a making people aware of the different tools and maybe mentioning a thing or two we like about them and just helping people become aware of the new tools that are in the market. And so I'm working on that with Born Capital. They're one of the co-sponsors of that, along with the Business Partnering Institute out of the uh, Netherlands, a guy by the name of Anders Lou Lindbergh. So the three of us together are doing that. And so I started working with Born Capital from that. And then they asked if I'd be on their advisory board. So it's still really new, you know, what, They've asked some of my thoughts on different things. We've done some presentations. You know, what do you think about this as a planning tool? Because Born Capital is specifically focused on investment in early stage companies for the office of the CFO. So it's strictly financial technology geared toward the CFO. Anders is going to be a guest on the podcast in a few weeks. Oh, great. So I'm familiar with him. Um, Have you ever thought about putting together like a magic quadrant type of thing like Gartner has done for, you know, some of the bigger technology out there? Yeah, we discussed doing that with the planning guide and we we shied away from it, especially this first round. As we look at the guide as really more of an introduction and we wanted all the the vendors to feel like they're getting their name out there. And as soon as you start comparing, Mm -hmm. no matter how fair, no matter what criteria you use, you lose a lot of people. Yeah. Right. And so we made the choice strategically. We felt it was the best choice to just really emphasize on showing what's out there, helping make people aware, and then letting them make their own decision. Yeah. Just putting the facts out there. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So what's your advice to someone out there who who wants to get into the FP&A profession? Yeah. So, I mean, I think there's a couple of things. I get asked that question a lot. If you're an accountant... I think the biggest thing is curiosity and wanting to learn about the business and how to communicate, 
right? Accounting is very much you're looking back. It's you're tying to the penny. It's a very can be a very structured process. Doesn't mean there's not creativity, but you don't always have to know the business. It's very transactional. FP&A is a lot about relationships. It's a lot about understanding the business. So if it's somebody in accounting, I tell them, you know, volunteer for projects, start to read articles about FP&A, follow people on LinkedIn that can start teaching you about that. You know, if you're coming from other areas, like maybe you're coming from investment banking or consulting, then it's just really learning to make that transition, you know, kind of the budgeting, the forecasting, some of those type of things. So it really depends on where the person is at in their career and how big of a pivot they're making, what advice I'd give somebody. And just looking at those backgrounds, accounting, investment banking, consulting, is there one that is a better stepping stone into FP&A than the others? I'd say traditionally most have come from accounting. Mm -hmm. But a lot, of, especially in the tech space, you see a lot that like the consulting because you're already doing the business partnering and you see a lot of different companies. So I think one thing that helps in all three of those, if you a lot of the accountants have audit experience. I think something that helps a lot of people in FP&A is being able to see a lot of different companies and how they work. You know, that's not how I came into FP&A, but I've heard from so many people that that experience of seeing a lot of different companies and industries is really invaluable because you start to see different ways to do things. And you talk on your site about variance commentary. So what is variance commentary and, and why is it important for an FP&A professional? Yeah, um, variance commentary, sometimes people call it B BVA. You'll hear different terms for it, but it's basically comparing your actuals against prior year plan or you know prior forecast, whatever comparison period. And where it's so important is it's something you do every month, you do it every quarter, you do it at the end of the year. And it's really to help you understand how you're tracking against your goal or your objective, right? A plan's giving you some numbers that ties back to a strategy, but the plan's wrong the day you, you print it. It's probably wrong the day before you printed it. <laughs> and it's never going to be right. But what's important in that variance is not so much the numbers like, all right, I missed by $100,000 doesn't tell the business anything. But being able to go to the business and say, look, we missed our revenue by 100000 because our salespeople aren't ramping up as quickly as we thought they were. And the ones that aren't ramping up as quickly are on this team, or they're here, or you know, we missed our hiring plan. And here's some thoughts we have of what we could do to close the gap. And so then you started to bring some strategy and some thought and some insights into it. And that's where variance commentary really becomes valuable is we you can help make those course corrections with the business to stay on track and also help them you know be aware of things that have gone really well so they can continue to do those things that generate you know outperformance. Yeah, I can see how audit uh, just a, an audit background would be helpful in in that space, like having to look at one year versus another and put together the management discussion analysis. So that, that makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's a really, it's really helpful to have seen a lot of different things and see how they kind of put that together. Accounting is also can be very valuable because then you understand the inner workings of why something may be timing. It may be due to accounting. Like every FP&A person needs to understand accounting, whether they have an accounting degree or not. So lastly, as a finance leader and, and as an entrepreneur, what is keeping you up at night right now? Ooh, uh, you know, for me, it's just, it's scaling my business, right? But, you know, as a finance leader, what, you know, kept me up often was, 
it, it varied, but trying to hit that plan, trying to figure out how you get there. Like I remember, you know, particularly during COVID, there were just a lot of kind of, you know, so to speak, sleepless nights of how do we, you know, keep the business afloat and make the adjustments that they need us to make to hit our numbers, to, you know, meet the investors' needs. Because I was working for a company that, you know, was heavily transactional. We supported, you know, automobiles and automobile claims. And if people aren't driving, they're not getting in accidents and you're not generating that revenue, which I mean, it's a good thing they're not getting in accidents, but obviously it impacts our business. Yeah. And so that that was probably the biggest thing is trying to figure out when something like what that would happen, a big event would happen. How do we help the business get through that? Those things that would keep me up at night. But today it's really things that keep me up is how do I you know help the most people and drive my business forward to accomplish the goals I have for myself. And just curious, where where would you like to see the FP&A guy in, let's say, three years? Yeah, that's a great great question. I think in three years, I really look at 80% of my business being training, you know, having launched some online training, doing some in-person training, you know, continuing to provide content, webinar, webinars, things like that. But really, I see the business primarily is a vehicle to help improve you know, FP&A for companies, whether that be through Excel training, whether that be helping with you know, tools, with business partnering with the different areas, kind of budget and forecast. Like right now, we're working on putting a course together to potentially train a company. And we're still working through that kind of proof of concept, but train a company on FP&A. And those type of things get me excited to help others be better at what they're doing. And for people that want to visit your website, is it's the fpnaguy.com? It is pretty simple as the fpnaguy.com. You'll see more content come through LinkedIn than you will right now on the website. I post daily on LinkedIn and you can find me under Paul Barnhurst. My hashtag is the FPNA guy. And then, you know, also people can follow the podcast on any source that's out there. It's called FPNA Today and it's on all the podcast platforms. Awesome. Paul, thank you so much for being my guest today. Yeah, thank you for having me. It was my pleasure, Megan. I really enjoyed being on the show. Yeah, I really enjoyed learning from you and our discussion around FPNA and some of the emerging tools that are out there to support this function, and including, including you. So well, thank, thank you. you. So to all of our listeners, please tune in next week. And until then, take care. If you're ready to boost efficiency and streamline your accounting processes at significant cost savings, it's time to talk with Personiv. Their people-powered solutions have transformed the delivery of back office tasks and general accounting functions for decades, partnering with clients to provide everything from accounts payable to payroll services. See what Personiv can do for you by visiting personiv.com. You've been listening to CFO Weekly presented by Personiv. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to hear all of our episodes. Want to learn more? Check out personiv.com. Thanks for listening.